Okay, so welcome to the 157th edition of the Guna Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Witcher. We are recording this on the Wednesday evening before Arsenal face Bournemouth in their fourth Premier League fixture of the season. As traditional, we'll start with the panel intros. First up, a regular columnist in the Guna. And it is to be decided whether he will continue issuing his thoughts on the website once the printed fanzine calls it a day at the end of this season. At the FA Cup final, he made a pact with the devil, accepting five more seasons of Arsene Wenger if his beloved Arsenal could beat Chelsea. So now you know who to blame. Nursing a bottle of Cabernet Shiraz, it's a very warm welcome to the Highbury spy himself, Mr Steve Ashford. Hello there. Next, another columnist, although these days he is far more prolific on his own website, angryofislington.com, and is a prolific tweeter as well, with the handle at angryofn5. His column in the fanzine goes under the title Anger Management, so I think it's safe to say there is a lot of anger, but hopefully not directed at your good host this evening. With a bottle of Hogarden, I am hoping not to get glassed with. It's good evening to Mr Phil Wall. Good evening, Kevin. And last but not least, it's his first appearance in almost two years, and he is an elusive man to get hold of. He used to pen articles for the Guna in his formative writing days, but in recent times we are treated to one trip reporter season, as he has a wider audience elsewhere, specifically on Blog. He is also something of an authority on Brazilian football and contributes to the Samba Foot website. He does have some time, though, for a bit of Twitter warfare under his Stilberto account, taking to task one of our Twitter questioners yesterday. Enjoying a bottle of finest Cobra, it's good to say hello once again to Mr. Tim Stillman. Good evening, and if you need a trip report for Bate Borisov... Fantastic. <laughs> I will claim that right now. So it's Bate, is it? Bate Borisov? I think so, yeah. Where, where, are, where oh. is that? What country is it? Belarus. Oh. <laughs> All right. Um, so anyway, a uh, lot, of, lot of submissions, questions, topics from uh, various people on Twitter and by email. And predictably, one topic uh, dominates in terms of the numbers. So uh, it basically boils down to when will Arson go? Now, um, I'm just going to name-check everybody, um, because I may not ask your questions exactly as you, you've, you've submitted them, because there's some crossover. But thanks to Simon Albert, the legendary Chris Hudson, Peter Squire, Kevan Layton, Oisin McGuinness, uh, Nahome Emereb, and Ian Henry, all of whom have touched on this subject. Let's, let's cut to the chase, guys. Chris Hudson has actually asked you, Steve for the answer to this one. If we lose to Bournemouth and Chelsea, will it mean that Wenger will resign or be sacked? And uh, one response to that on Twitter was from Mr Nigel1017, who said, that man's going nowhere, hashtag Arsene Mugabe. Um, If we lost the next two games, I suspect there'd be a bit of uh, reaction in the crowd, but... uh, well, I think you get the you probably get the planes flying over again, and you probably get the protests. Had that last season. Yeah, I know, but uh, <clears throat> even that had an effect on Wenger because he's actually said that um, he, he was in two minds because of the fan protests, 
and I think it was only winning the FA Cup that probably kept him and that as you said earlier is totally down to me because I said <laughs> I would do that deal with the devil if we beat the evil mob from Chelsea stop them doing the double get another trophy for ourselves I would take to maybe even five more years of Wenger well, I was pissed at the time but um, <clears throat> we beat Chelsea it was fantastic we probably the best we've played all season he got the new two year contract which was probably the biggest mistake the club's ever made um, and if he loses the next two games he's not going to walk that's for sure he's not going to walk he's not now gonna hang walk. on a minute hang <clears throat> on a minute is Stan Kroenke going to sack Arsene Wenger do you know what I, I think if it's if we if if this bad form continues probably beyond losing to Bournemouth and Chelsea um, because we've got Cologne in the middle of that in the Europa League and there's Doncaster Rovers as well he might get a couple of wins there um, if, if, it's, if, it's, if it's clear that we're not going to finish in the top four after say the end of October and we're in mid-table or lower mid-table the fans are protesting the results are going tits up he doesn't know his first 11 he's got rebellious players the fans are protesting I mean, I think there's a good, there's a good chance that, that Gazidis will have a word with Kroenke and say, you've got to put this man out of his misery, because he's certainly not going to go on his own, though. Phil, I suspect you may have a different view. I do have a slightly different view. I can't see uh, Arsene getting the sack, probably at all, but if things, if things are still really bad... If they're worse than they are now, if Arsenal are lower than their current 16th position come January, then I would say there's the slightest hint of a possibility that he would be sacked. But that's not going to happen. We're not going to be in the relegation. Zone. You you would think not. You would think not. He's <laughs> definitely he's definitely not going to be sacked if Arsenal lose the next two games or even the next five games. That's not going to happen. Because Kroenke is not that bothered because all this season's income is already accounted for. So as long as we don't go down to the championship next season, most of next season's income is accounted for as well. So Kroenke is really not going to be that bothered. He's, and if Gazidis has a word with him, it'll go in one ear and out the other, like the rest of the stuff Gazidis says to him. Because Gazidis has no influence on Kroenke, otherwise the two-year contract wouldn't have been renewed, would it? Do you not think that there's an element of that we didn't spend all of the, the transfer chests in the summer because either Kroenke or Gazidis or the pair of them decided to hold the money back for Wenger's successor, whoever that might be? This is no, a theory that, that has been put forward. That, that is not the kind of thing that Stan Kroenke does. Yeah. Stan Kroenke is holding money back. He's not holding money back for the next guy. He's holding money back for himself. Yeah. They might have thought to themselves, well, Wenger wants to keep Sanchez. He wants to keep Ozil. He's turning down possibly 80 million. They're not selling those two. If he, if he wants to keep if he wants to keep those players and turn his, turn his back on that potential 80 million, <clears throat> then I'm not going to let him spend any money on top of that because we're going to need that money next year when they go. But then ultimately we bid, what, 92 million for Thomas Lamar on the final day of the transfer window? If so, that's true. We've only got Arsene's word for it. Yeah, I, I think it probably is true. Um, it's still, I just still don't think that reflects brilliantly on us because it was obviously a real panic move. Certainly from an organisational point of view it doesn't reflect. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I agree with you, Phil. I, I don't think that that's the case at all. I don't think um, Arsene goes a day before the 30th of June 2019 um, because he won't walk out because we're, what, 10 days after the Liverpool game? He still hasn't resigned. He's not going to. 
um, because in terms of performances and in terms of your players giving up on you and telling you something that I mean how many times how many Arsenal games have there been in the last six years where you felt that seminal the 8-2 the 3-0 against uh, Crystal Palace the 6-0 at Chelsea I mean the list is endless and every time you think oh this is a real sea change this is seminal and, um, well I thought that for the first four or five but yeah, know, I kind yeah, of got yeah. used to um, exactly exactly and after a while what you begin to understand is that Arsene is terrified of what comes after Arsenal so he's not going to resign and Stan Kroenke like you say Phil unless we're in danger of relegation Stan Kroenke is happy enough so it seems to me to be completely deadlocked and I wouldn't rule out another contract after this one personally I think that's that's more of a debate than whether he gets sacked or resigned. What about if the stadium's half empty, though? Because the fans are almost at revolution level now. I mean, what, what happens if we lose to well, Bournemouth? Well, if the tickets aren't paid for... Lose to Bournemouth, possibly lose yeah, to... Yeah, 45,000 seats are season ticket-based. Yeah. Mm. Lots of ticket the only ones that really aren't selling are the ones in the middle tier, which may have impact because yeah. they are very significant in terms of proportion and I know it's a struggle for the club to sell corporate boxes and club level season tickets but they're, they're talking about putting another 800 seats in did you see that rumour the other day? I haven't, I haven't seen it in the ordinary seats? in the ordinary seats I thought it was supposed to be around club level jamming them in oh, a bit more to get another really? 800 seats in well I mean they can sell them on match by match basis and they can do hospitality packages for individual glamour games whenever they come along um, and probably justify the expense of putting in a seat. Um, so that's how I would rationalise that. But uh, is that just to beat Tottenham's capacity? I don't know. Maybe It'd still be less than Tottenham, know. apparently. And also they've, they've lost some capacity because there's some new regulations around uh, seats for wheelchair users. So they've lost... A few hundred seats because of that. Oh, really? Mm. Okay. So how do we? So how did we feel about um, about Wenger staying until 2019 then? To, I mean, what are we going to? Well, say? hang on a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to here bring in one of our tweeters. So I think uh, specifically, you probably saw these tweets yourself. We're almost suicidal um, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just find this one now. Uh, it was directed to Tim, and it, it's uh, right. So basically. Zidane Descartes, <laughs> Zinedine Descartes, sorry, uh, has asked Tim why he sat on the fence making hollow excuses for Wenger's repeated failure for over a decade. Hasht hashtag flip flop. Now, in fairness <laughs> to Tim, I would classify you as someone who was willing to give Arsene the benefit of the doubt, yeah. but has gradually crossed over to the dark side. Yeah, so I, I don't think fair. there's a lot of flip-flop there. I think basically it's a transition process a lot of supporters have gone through. Um, but let me put it to you this way. When was the moment you thought, I'd prefer to have a different manager than Arsene? Um, I think the beginning of the 14-15 season, he went through this phase where he tried to cram Wilshere, Ramsey, Ozil and Cazorla all into the same midfield. And I kind of thought, that's not very good for the balance of the team for really obvious reasons. And uh, it started to become quite apparent to me that he didn't really have a plan for the team. And then um, a few of those players got injured, as they usually do, and he kind of stumbled on the Cazorla Coquelin thing. And uh, that all of a sudden became the brilliant new idea, which wasn't an idea at all. 
and so I think it's been not a gradual process since then. I, so I wanted him to go after the 2014 FA Cup, but for his sake, as much as anything, I kind of thought, well, he's, he's clearly fading now. Um, we probably need a bit of a new broom through this, but at that stage I wanted him to go on his terms and to ride off into the sunset. Um, over the last three years, that's, that's really begun to change, and I think probably during the winter of not last season, the season before, the season where Leicester won the league, where we were kind of persevering with Ramsey and Flamini in central midfield, and we had a real shot at winning the league, and I mean, we completely blew it. And actually, I think you could argue we played better last season, but finished fifth, mm. because the level of competition was so much higher, it was just the bar was so low in the Premier League that year, and we still managed to kind of hit our heads on it. We actually got more points last year, <coughs> excuse me, than we did before last exactly. season before. Exactly. And we finished fifth, and I and I think so. I, I was starting, you know, probably around about 2014. I was thinking, yeah, it's definitely time up. And gradually, you know, during the the Leicester march to the title, it's definitely time up. And then last season, I just saw a group of players who threw in the towel on him, and I just thought. I can't think of many other clubs in the world where a manager survives this. Oh, no. But look, look, looking at the midfield, <clears throat> it's, been, it's been clear for donkey's years that we need a big, a big, you know, tall enforcer in the middle of the field there, someone like Pogba or Matic or someone to, to shore up our midfield and stop all these horrendous defeats we keep getting at the big clubs. Um, year after year after year, transfer window after transfer window, we think, right, this is the window he's going to do it. He, didn't, he still hasn't done it now. I mean, we're crying out for a player of that type. Zaka's given, them, given a goal away in each of the games this season with a ridiculous passing. And if you remember, I said to you soon after we signed Zaka, he was ambling around the pitch. I said, Kev, I'm not sure about this, Zaka. If he plays like this at Anfield and Old Trafford and White Hart Lane, we're going to get tanked. And sure enough, he did, and we did. And he, he hasn't improved at all since we signed him. I don't think he's cut out for the role that Wenger's trying to play in it. I think if he's going to play in the team anywhere, he's, a, he's an Ozil replacement behind the front line. Well, let's, let's move on to formations then, <coughs> because uh, I've got uh, contributions here from David Howth and Ian Henry. Um, I'll read them all out. Back three, how long can it last? Surely, the back, surely four at the back for Saturday. Uh, should Arsenal revert to 4-3-3 or 4-4-2? Why? Who should be the centre-back pairing? And who should be in the central midfield pairing or trio? And what is the best formation to accommodate Ozil, Sanchez and Lacazette? So, um, the, the three at the back was hailed by all the guys who still have faith in Arsene as this is evidence that he um, can adapt and could keep up with the trends of the game today. And look at that run at the end of last season. You know, this, this, this is the way forward. Late on in games, when we're struggling, we suddenly get rid of a five at the back and go to a four. Do we think that we're going to see a return to four defenders? Oh, God, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Like, you can't read Vegas' mind, can you? Because we're now in the post senile. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I'll give you another question then. You know, how you how do you address the leaking of goals? Formation wise. Well, Vinger hasn't managed to address it in yeah. the last 10 years. But he's got to now. No, no, it's not been as bad as this. 
this is a little bit. We'll new. say since 2011 when we've we've had three games in on the trot yeah. where we have been badly exposed at the back. Uh, the Stoke may have only had three <coughs> really good chances, but that was the same Stoke team that had no chances the weekend before at Everton. True. So yeah. they are impotent. Well, it's, it's the standard of defending that we're talking about, isn't it? I mean, it's, it, over across the, the games, team, right, throughout we, the team. Oh, sure, yeah, because the, the front lot don't do a lot either. But but it's um, in three games. Yes, we've conceded goals every time, but. You know, you can't necessarily say, "Well, that's going to happen every game." But if the standard of defending is as low as it has been, then it probably will happen every game because they just don't seem switched on. They don't seem tactically prepared. So, is it a oh, matter of personnel or mentality? Probably mentality. I, I, don't, I don't think that any formation fixes this. I think Arsenal's. I, so, personally, I don't care if it's four at the back, three at the back, two at the back, ten up front. I want Arsenal to coach the team in a way he believes in, and I think I don't think he's got an idea of what he believes in at the moment. And basically, the team, whatever the formation is, if people don't muck in off the ball, then it doesn't really matter what the formation is. And when you've got a midfield of Ramsey, Xhaka and Ozil off the ball, that is poison. That is absolute mm. poison. You can't have that midfield three. You could you could have that midfield three. And like six at the back, and it's not going to make much difference, to be honest. It, well, it'll be the attacks get through constantly, and sooner or later they'll break the door down. I mean, the, yeah. the obvious example is this conversation going on between Ramsey and Chamberlain the other day when. Uh, and they're not looking at the ball. Yeah, when, 50 when, yards when, from, the, from where the action's going on, and then, oh, next thing, ball's in the net. When Liverpool scored their first goal, uh, they, they, were, they, were, they were chatting to the bench or whatever, and Ozil was doing his shoelaces up. I mean, I mean three of them were out of the game. I mean, what is going on? But, I mean, another thing as well, I mean, in this, in this post-senile total football era, Wenger is looking to get success by playing a team full of left-backs. It would, <laughs> it would help. It would help if he played proper Hang defenders. In Who the is playing left-back left in this formation? <laughs> well, he's, he, he has to accommodate Monreal, doesn't he, every week? I'm talking about Bellerin playing left-wing back. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the irony just, of your statement. I mean, I mean, who in his right mind would, would play Chamberlain when he was on the verge of signing for Chelsea or Liverpool? In that the match? theory well, is, Arsene was hoping to change his mind. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, but, but, I mean, but that just, just shows how out of touch he is. Just shows him out of touch. Then to, so, so to accommodate Chamberlain, he upsets the rest of the team, probably their mentality, by playing Bellerin on the left. He accommodates Monreal in the central defence at Anfield. Leaves Lacazette and 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 um, Kalasinov on the bench mm. and Giroud. I mean, I mean, you just think that the the team selections are abysmal. Well, so, the, the so interesting thing to me is that you had a team that finished fifth of the Premier League the previous season. So you bought in two players who would make the first team better, and then you go to Liverpool and you don't start them. Uh, so what exactly was the point? Yeah. What was indeed? Uh, I, I think to answer the question of what he will do, I've got a feeling he might go for like the Christmas tree formation, which is basically just going to be like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. So instead of having the extra, extra centre back, I think he'll go back to having four at the back and he'll just put Coquelin in the midfield. So you'll end up with a midfield of Coquelin, Ramsey, and Jacker, and then he'll keep Ozil, Alexis, and Lacazette exact, exactly where they are. So he's, but I think basically he'll just take that one player out of the back three and just stick him in midfield, and it'll be Coquelin because 
he loves Coquelin uh, for a start and he'll think of a good excuse to get him in but also you know we're, we're leaving the distance between kind of either sides of the centre circle we're leaving very very empty and Coquelin you know conceivably can fill that space so I think that's what he will do What do you think about work? bringing Elneny in instead of Zekka? Because I think Elneny's a far better player than Zekka I, I, I quite like Elneny um, I do think in the right system Jack is a, a really good player but a bit like Ozil Arsenal was not the right system because he gets badly exposed off the ball and um, it's, it's kind of the same with Mesut Ozil I think Mesut Ozil's a terrific player but just in completely the wrong team mm. yes mm. yeah I mean he won the World Cup with Germany playing a very similar style in terms of his uh, interception of the ball should yeah. we say you know. but they well, even this week for Germany he was awesome in their World Cup game there we are you see but they were playing was it Norway mm. 80th yeah. in the world below Trinidad and Tobago <laughs> apparently so you know it's like playing Donkey Caster yeah, well, true they did true. win the World Cup last uh, time around so he doesn't exactly shine against West Brom though does he or it seems like that so the transfer window I'm going to put a, 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 an idea to you and you want, I want you to shoot it down okay <laughs> with pleasure <laughs> basically okay we've got rid of um, a number of players only one of which was a real first team contender Oxlade Chamberlain we've bought in two guys who are definite first team contenders in Lacazette and Kolasinac now following Ivan Gazidis email in, in theory that would mean we've got a stronger squad would we agree and why not if you don't well the, on paper yes you could argue the squad is stronger hmm. but that's when you look at individual players and what makes winners in football is being a team and being greater than the sum of the parts. That's how Leicester won the league. Oh, you're, all right, stars aligned, everything else was fine for them, was fantastic for them, because all the other teams, bar Arsenal, had all changed their manager or were in the throes of it or, you know, people getting sacked or whatever else was going on. So they, none of the other big clubs challenged, but Leicester still had to play at the top of their game for a whole season and they, all their players had to be part of a team and not just individuals and that's what they were. But that doesn't last forever, it lasted for that season and that's how they did it. Now Arsenal, whatever players you put in there, the team at the moment is still less than the sum of its parts because it's not coached properly, it's not tactically, you know, they're not tactically aware, they're not, they don't know what they're doing and the attitude is all wrong as we just discussed with people having chats off the ball to the bench or whoever else while the game is actually going on so if that's going to happen you can, you can have the 11 best individuals in the world you can have the Glasgow's in there and they're still not going to win mm. it's got to be a team and to emphasise your point Phil we spent 100 million last summer and got worse mm. we did indeed we bought some good established international players in positions where we needed strengthening and we got worse for the reasons that you described because like you say Mustafi's not a bad player Xhaka is not a bad player Lucas Perez was not a bad player but we got worse and it wasn't because we bought bad players we were That's probably right. stronger exactly. but he didn't know how to <coughs> use them he built, one, he built um, El Nelly that January didn't play yeah, him yeah. either he bought Holding didn't play him until the very late stages of the season all of the players he brought in in 2016 he basically just dumped I mean, what, what was the point? And, and, you know, well, I mean, 
there's this thing about uh, is it DNA stats or something the, the DNA. stat DNA you know I mean I've read that a lot of the recent more recent bars ever since Gabrielle onwards have been linked to the figures that stat DNA have produced in terms of who would make a suitable buy and it's football efficiency okay so it's this idea of percentages, yeah. you know. Of but in fairness, pass completion. They were good players. Yeah, yeah. They, they they were very good players. So basically, they were yeah. good buys. Yeah. But you know, at the end of the day, as long as you've got Arsenal running the show, nothing's going to work. No. Yeah. I so think we're really on that now. So <laughs> how are we going to get an hour out of this? We all, we all, we all know we're up shit creek without a paddle with with Wenger. Let's talk about money then. Okay, I'm going to name Let, check. Can we just talk a bit more about the squad, Ken? Just, just one, one more Please thing about, do. The squad, about the squad. Please do. Right. So, because he's saying we're better off than we were last year. Wenger, Wenger wanted to sell Elneny, Wilshere, Mustafi, Chambers, all, all squad players. If, if, if those players had all left the club and we still signed Lacazette and um, Klasinov, or Klasinac. Klasinac. Klasinac, whatever you pronounce it. Um, we would have been six or seven squad players down. So mm-hmm. how does that make the team better? Well, uh, apparently we've got too many players. And who does, who does Wenger think is going to play in midfield had Elneny and Wilshere gone? Well, presumably they might have bought someone. Because but, apparently but, they're cash-strapped. But is it, who's going to sign for Wenger knowing how he treated all the players he signed last year? Well, that's the other question. Because apparently Thomas Lamar was sounded out during the summer and expressed an interest in joining the club. He said yes. Now, do we think that he suddenly said no on transfer deadline day because of the disastrous start of the season? What was the thinking? No. Because Monaco had accepted the bid. Mm. Sanchez was going to Man City. Arsenal had the money from the Ox and Sanchez transfers. They could afford to buy Thomas Lamar. <coughs> Lamar said no. No one's going to not sign for Arsenal because they just lost 4-0 to Liverpool. Why did he change his mind? He changed his mind because he, he, he heard, realised or decided that Arsenal was a club going downhill they weren't going to compete for the Premier League um, he realised that um, in the Champions League this season yeah Champions League but he knew that in the summer when he apparently he said yes he would he probably thought we were going to challenge then but events since you know early in the summer have probably convinced him that we're not going to challenge I don't think that's got anything to do with the three defeats I think he's probably got inside Knowledge or insight. Someone's told, international him. Someone's told him how bad Wenger is and stay away. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, surely, surely the, the, um, the first couple of games, all right, we won the first one, barely. Yeah. Um, surely that's going to have some effect because, yeah. you, you know, as a player coming in, you're going to think, well, is this team going to challenge for the yeah. league? And it doesn't look as though they are. And if you've got two defeats in your first three games, that's, that's probably half the defeats you could afford in a season for, you know, to be champions. And look at, um, look at Ozil's Instagram post. Uh, there's, there's a very interesting line in it that I think has been ignored where he says um, his, uh, his teammates at Germany have been asking him what's wrong with Arsenal. I'm not even sure it's inside knowledge. I think players consume a lot of the same stuff that fans do and they're all invested in the game and they're all fans maybe in a different way but they you know consume media and everything around it and Ozil said you know willingly on his own kind of social media channel that everyone in the world champions all of these players are coming up to him going what the fuck is wrong with Arsenal and that that kind of shows you where we are really in terms of reputation I think our reputation has taken such a massive hit and particularly in the last few weeks of the window where 
you know, however much of it is subterfuge or, or coverage, the perception is that Arsenal are a club that, uh, you know, are in decline and that don't really know what they're doing. And players see that as much as fans do. And when Ozil was saying, yeah, everyone's coming up to me and just going, what, what's wrong with Arsenal? This is the worst team in years. You know, that tells you how we're seen at the moment. And it's, it's very damaging. It's really interesting that when other clubs drop out of the Champions League, you know, they're still able to attract top players to the club. Mm. We drop out of the Champions League, and the first top player we try and sign says, oh, I want to play Champions League football. Well, hang on a minute. We did sign Lacazette, <laughs> in all fairness. But how much competition was there to sign Lacazette? I, apparently, uh, I think Atletico were, were after him. Yeah, and they're under a transfer ban. So, yeah, and couldn't make the move. <laughs> yeah, 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 OK. Um, Pat Rainsford uh, tweeted, uh, Where has the classy Bank of England club that graced English football for decades gone? Now a laughing stock, the hybrid move was disastrous. Emirates was built for corporate fans, all to do with money, but not passed to the manager or used well when buying players. Fraudsters in charge. I'm going to put all that on Twitter in one tweet. <laughs> How did you manage that? He did it in two tweets, <laughs> as, as you do. Um, so what my question from that is, Arsenal are pleading poverty. Now, I know you're not an expert on figures, Steve, no. but I believe you are, <clears throat> and I think Tim might be. So... Guys, we were supposed to he have... He all this stuff for me. All right, OK. <laughs> we were supposed to have somewhere around 90 to 100 million spare at the start of the window. So we bought um, Lacazette for 50 million. Let's call it 60 with wages, all right? So we have 40 million yeah, but you don't pay. pay all that up front. So even then, we had lots of money then. In terms of what we think is in the cash reserves, Arsenal were cash-rich. And yet, they're briefing... The press. I mean, I don't know a lot about. But finance. we don't have money. <laughs> I don't know a lot about stocks, but I do know that Huddersfield Town spent more money than every other Premier League club spent more money. No, no, we were only second from the bottom of the spending. <laughs> oh, who was who was bottom? I don't know. I can't remember. We were definitely second. Nick Harris put a table. I think Burnley might have been. But but to be fair, I don't think Arsenal saying they had no money. I think Arsenal saying they didn't have. They were describing it as big money. Well, the, the phrase in David Ornstein's tweet was "no money for major signings." Yeah. So if you, well, if you follow, how do you interpret that? If you follow the breadcrumbs, right? They spent like fifty million on Lacazette, and then they bid forty-five million for Thomas Lamar, which strikes me as that was the rest of the transfer budget because all the information we got was that it got to forty-five million for Lamar. Monaco said no, and we didn't raise the bid, which suggests to me that we were, you know. Until we shifted some players, that was all that we had. And then we didn't get the Chamberlain money till, you know, deadline day. We weren't getting the Alexis money till deadline day. All of a sudden, we were able to bid £92 million for Thomas Lamar. And that was because, you know, for some reason, we didn't think... We found selling a squad player like Oxo Chamberlain for £40 million was some really ridiculously difficult task, which it shouldn't have been. Um, but... It, it does. It does seem to make some sense in an Arsenal kind of way, if you follow. If you follow what I'm saying, like they bid. It the makes sense in an Arsenal kind of way, yeah. Because they they're always even before Stan Kroenke, traditionally cautious in how much they spend. Occasionally, a wild splurge on you know Malcolm McDonald for three hundred thirty-three thousand or something, which never been done before. Or um, before that, about five years before that, it was Alan Ball, wasn't it? Two hundred twenty thousand or something, but. 
since then, the, the club is traditionally very cautious, and Stan Kroenke is even more cautious. So you don't, you don't see anything really different. If you look at the accounts from before Kroenke took over to now, the, the cash balance was already going up. Between mm-hmm. 2006 7 they refinanced the stadium mortgage in 2006. The cash balance then, because of the caution and... No doubt more caution was imbued because of the crash in 2008 when suddenly all the flats that they thought they were selling three quarters of a million each couldn't get shifted. So, so I think there was, there was probably a collective we can't take too many risks here kind of feeling around the club, which is not much different to what it had ever been. But that, Hang on. that then... Bank of England club came about because we spent money. Well, that's the 30s. That's true, but you know that, that that was the legacy of Chapman and what he did in the 30s, and that that lingered on right through to the 70s. We, you know, in the 1970s, when to digress slightly from your question, when teams like Bristol City came up to the first division in the mid 70s for the first time, I'm old enough to have gone to see Arsenal against <laughs> Bristol we City. We lost one 0 We did lose one 0 the first game yeah. of the season, <laughs> and um, I had an uncle who lived in Bristol. I went to the away game as well, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, which we also lost. <laughs> you won't um, get these gems yeah, on right, any yeah, other yeah, podcast. Yeah. My, my <laughs> point is... I said that one was in January the other game. I know it's cold. My, <laughs> I KFC afterwards. My point is... What is my point? Uh, my point is that teams like Bristol City, who, who came up, for them, going to Arsenal was the biggest game of the season. It's the biggest game they could possibly imagine because it was Arsenal. Even though Arsenal... They, they'd won a double five years before. Before that, they'd won nothing for 17 years. But even teams in the 60s, to go to Arsenal because of what Chapman did in the 30s, all that legacy lingered on right up through the, the 40s, 50s, 60s, into the 70s. It was only when Liverpool took over as dominating everything in the 70s that Arsenal were not the number one club. Even though other clubs had come and gone in the meantime, Wolves had had a good, season, you know, good few seasons in the 50s, Man United... Uh, at the Busby Bays and they'd even won the European Cup Man City had won the league a few times Liverpool and the Reddy that was the, the names of the clubs were still nothing compared to Arsenal until Liverpool had a run of 19 years of being in the top two I think one year out of the top two in 19 years so that that kind of lingered on that was where all the Bank of England stuff came from and that, that was from the 30s but it lasted for 40 years from there since that time more caution had, had come in so Back to my original point, the spending, after they remortgaged the stadium, the new stadium in 2006, the spending tailed off. Arsenal had this thing, whether it was forced on him or not, players over 30 only get a one-year contract. Players tend to get shipped out as soon as they get to 30. Now, maybe that's, that was partly financial. It appeared to be, and Arsene said, it was because players over 30, their performances start rapidly going downhill. They can't tell exactly when, but once they're 30, at some point fairly soon after, their performances are going to go down. So he shipped them out. So that, that, was, uh, that got some, some uh, big wage earners off the books. Then, then the whole sort of Project Youth thing started, because Arsene thought, ah, perhaps I can win with kids after all. Fergie did it, so perhaps I can. And then, in the meantime... He wasn't spending. Then we had the famous, if you were given 100 million, what would you do with it? I'd give it back. That was around sort of 2007, 8, somewhere around there. That was actually before the stadium move, I think. Was it? As long ago as that? Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, we, we've only really speculated to accumulate when David Dean was with us. <clears throat> I can remember all through the 60s and 70s, you know, Liverpool. But, but, United, yes, but, yeah. but David Dean yeah. disappeared at exactly the moment of the financial crash. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, these things, there's never one single cause for anything, but the fact is, the cash balances then started rising 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11. Cronky then took over in 2011. So the cash balance was still on this upward curve for f- about four years before Cronky took over, and at that stage it was sort of 50 million, 60 million, 70 million. About 100 million by 2011, and now up to about 200 billion. All right, well, I take your point. So let me put it to you like this then. We've agreed that the team can't go forward under Arson. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, Arson was run under a bus, the uh, tragic death two months' time, okay? He goes you've to Sheffield got, United and gets pneumonia. You've got, well, <laughs> he's not that dedicated to like Herbert Chapman, but um, you've got some financial limitation because of what we would describe as owner conservatism, okay? Would a new manager be able to compete with the resources that Arsenal do have if Arsenal are going to continue on the self-sufficiency route? Remembering that there is a hell of a lot of money coming into the club through TV deals... Kev, we've hit upon the $1,000 question... Is it Cronky or is it yeah. Wenger? Well, never well you've know. already it's, said it's no, Wenger. It's it's you've already said it's Wenger, but Wenger. the question is, unless, what if it wasn't Wenger? Cautious. And, but unless Cronky is taking money out, yeah, then it's yeah. up to, or stopping Wenger spending it, yeah. then it's up to Wenger to, to spend it wisely and to make the team more than some of its parts. Yeah. Now, uh, Le Grove was, was tweeting earlier, or yesterday, that Juventus have about the same spend as Arsenal in yeah. terms of wages yeah. and transfers yeah. over yeah. the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, Juventus managed to challenge in the Champions League, so, so win, the, win the Italian <coughs> League every season, and challenge in the Champions League. Now, why can't Arsenal do that on the same money? Well, you, you think it was because we got a shit manager. I do. Um, <laughs> um, so what you're saying, essentially, is that it's not Kroenke, it's Wenger, and that the money is there if Wenger wants it. I'm not, no. I'm not saying necessarily that, that all the so. money that's there can be spent because Conkey yeah. may be preventing that, mm. may be preventing some of it being spent. But I am saying the amount that is spent over the past few seasons is the same we could have made a hell of a better fist of it than we Definitely. have. Yeah. But, what, yeah. but what evidence do we have at this stage of Arsene um, saying, I want that player, and Stan saying, no, not, not, not shelling out for him? That not no, even any anecdotal evidence no. of that. And you're right, there may be he may be saying behind the scenes, look, we want to keep at least I want to keep at least thirty million here. But I mean he spent like thirty five million on Mustafi at the drop of a hat, and Jacka, Urzil, Alexis, you know, he hasn't been blocked from making any of these signings. Um, I I don't think I think I don't think there's a blockage from Cronkey on the spend. I think maybe in terms of the more nebulous like leadership side of it, there probably is. I don't think he's controlling the purse strings to that extent, and uh, I, I, I'd because say an awful lot of fans do though. An awful lot yeah, of fans yeah, think yeah. it is cronky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd say actually at the moment Arsenal haven't. If you look at Arsenal's history, just to go back to the historical side of it, we've always kind of been the same. We since the thirties, we haven't dominated. We've always been there or thereabouts, and then as soon as we start to drift a bit. A, like there's a big site like a Charlie Nicholas or a Joe Baker um, or someone like that. They well, try Malcolm and pull McDonald's. out. 
Yeah, yeah, or a Malcolm McDonald. When they when they hit a bit of a rut where they're not in that kind of top five, six, not in the running, and they're threatening to sag down to mid-table, they tend to pull out the stops either on a big signing or they do something weird with the manager. Um, they appoint the physio and go and win the double. <laughs> or they bring you know George Graham in from Millwall to be a completely different manager from what's gone before. So Arsenal are, have actually historically been quite good at just bobbing around at a certain level. The second that's under threat, they either spend big money on somebody or they do a bit of a left turn with the manager. And they've never and been on success either. No, no, no. They've never retained the title since the third. Indeed, but we've never been, but we haven't been relegated either. We right. we kind of veer between those extremes. But what Arsenal the season is, is young. Well, indeed. But what Arsenal is crying out for now is that kind of that George Graham, that Bertie Mee decision, that kind of environment upgrade, which we've been overdue for a few years. And in any other circumstances, the manager would have gone by now, but it's Arsene and he doesn't want to go. And we're in a situation where the board. The whole stadium is like some kind of a shrine to the manager which is not a healthy situation and we're still pointing at it now going oh yeah and Ivan Gazidis stands up and he says oh we were really brave to move to the stadium well Gazidis had nothing to do with it this was a decision that was taken 16 years ago now and they're still pointing at it like it's this big modern thing they've done recently and I, I think the stadium move was very brave and largely pretty well done and done for the right reasons but what's happened is that this is 15 years ago now that this work was done and they're still pointing at it and they're still going, oh, look at when we sold an Elka and got the training ground. <laughs> like, someone like Kylian Mbappe wasn't even born when that happened. You know, this generation of players, they don't know about Highbury. They, don't, they, don't, they've ju- they just know Arsenal at the end. It's you, not you, new. You wonder whether some of our players now have even bothered to walk along the road yeah, yeah, yeah. to see the remnants of what Ivory was. Well, I definitely yeah, would. They? Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. would they? Yeah. They arrive in their cars at the stadium, yeah, yeah, yeah. and leave after. Well, the only bit to see yeah, is well, the front of the stand, anyway, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, you could say that's symptomatic of Wenger, because if I was the manager, every new signing, I'd show show them every bit of Arsenal's history. Yeah. I'd say you're playing for the best club in the world. Around. You're playing for the best club well, in the world. Well, this is something that was written, I think, by Nicky Butts, uh, yeah. who said it's up to the players that know the club yeah. to put new arrivals right about what it means. Yeah, exactly. But to, exactly. To, just go back to your um, your double tweet that introduced this part of the conversation. There's something about moving Highbury in there. Yes, the Highbury move was disastrous. The Emirates was built for corporate fans, all to do with money, but not passed to the manager. Or used right, well. all, all that nonsense about not passing the manager. He spent what three hundred million or something on transfers in the last three years. So mm. you know that's a load of rubbish. But all this this stuff about moving for the wrong reasons. Well, they moved and immediately got fifty million more in ticket sales every season. Mm. Went up from forty to ninety million. Now it's at a hundred million. Mm. So obviously that's to do with money. That was the whole point of moving. You can't. They were never going to increase the, the budget in that way by staying at Highbury and having a crowd of 38,000. So, yes, they moved for money. And, that, and all this stuff about, well, it's, it's a solar stadium compared to Highbury. Well, yeah, it is in a way, but it's, it's just a modern stadium. That's what modern stadiums look like. I don't know what people are expecting. Were they expecting a replica of Highbury, but twice the size? I don't know. Um, well, well, Highbury wasn't called the Highbury Library for nothing, was it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the Highbury wasn't the most raucous stadium. No. And also, look, look at all the clubs who didn't move stadium. Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea, Everton. 
what have, and they all fell behind us for a time. Um, what have they been trying to do ever since? Move Stadium, yeah, yeah, for yeah. the same reasons. Because so, so in any way, to cut a long story short, for you, you reckon that Wenger is the one to blame for all of our failings and not Kroenke? Uh, well, I'm not saying I like all the stadium. I don't. No, okay. All the stadium but, move, yeah. But yeah. the stadium move is not is not to blame, and Kroenke is not to blame for what Wenger is doing on the pitch. Yeah. So, so you reckon to go back to Kev's original question, if Wenger left tomorrow and we got a new manager, things would improve. One thousand percent. It depends who it was. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. it's certainly I'm possible. Not possible. If it's you, yeah. I'm not going to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think, think, a, <laughs> I think <laughs> a good manager would solve a lot. Oh yeah. Our WhatsApp group would do a better job than Vega. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Right. Well, they uh, used to have committees picking the teams, yeah. and always, didn't they? Before managers I mean, were, were a big thing. Yeah, first rule of management. First rule of management law: Don't play a right back at left back, and someone who's leaving the club on Wednesday at right back. Put the spy in <laughs> yeah. the dugout. Um, we're going to move on to Ivan Gazidis now. Um, because we've had a couple of emails. Uh, Philip Blackman. Does Ivan Gazidis see through the spin of Arsene Wenger or is he just as culpable? A lot of people give him the benefit of the doubt, but given the interview when Arsene signed his new two-year contract and his positive comments at the end of a transfer window... Is he not just as big a spin master as Arson? Um, yes, he is. Next. <laughs> well, okay, then I'm going to I'm going to ask you another question based on the Gazidis subject. Do you think he is at loggerheads with Arson, and do you think there's been an element where he is allowing Arson to fail by perhaps not? doing everything a CEO might. I reckon Gazidis uh, would have got rid of Wenger in the summer, mm-hmm. if not for, for Kroenke. I think, I think Wenger went to Kroenke, had a word with him, said, I'm going to change, I can, you know, the, the FA Cup is the start. I don't think he needed to say he was going to change. Gone, whatever. <laughs> whatever, he got his contract, Gazidis was... I think was the reason Wenger went to Kroenke was this. Yeah. Wenger did not want to sign a new contract and get the earth shifted from under him. Yeah. So I think he said to Kroenke, I'm willing to stay. I can recommend this vineyard in France, by <laughs> yeah. the by. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Matey, yeah. you know, smooching. But also, you know, I need to do things my way. I don't want a director of football. For example. Excellent. Yeah. You know, yeah. I need to be the guy yeah, I, I think it's making a, these It's decisions. a fairly simple question. Can I carry on, if I sign, can I carry on running things the way I have been? And Conky probably Conky thought, well, on balance, yes. yeah. Uh, let me just have a look at my bank account. Yeah, that seems to be okay. Carry on. So then my next question is, what is the point of having a board of directors? What's the point of having... having Legal this? requirement. Mm, that's about it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, what, Gazidis has been so undermined with all this. And I, I, well, I but he has yeah. been making comments for three or four years yeah. about yeah. we should. The be interesting competing. thing is, Gazidis is a laughing stock yeah. amongst his peer group in Europe, which and is, yet, which is probably why he gets elected to the goddamn <laughs> committee as one of the two representation representatives of the European Club Association. Yeah. 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 How, how did he get elected to that? Who exactly. What? Well, well, I just. I don't understand. You know why he's there, don't you? He's there so that he can get Champions League qualification extended to seventh place. And then in all the top football nations, then the smaller clubs, the smaller countries get nothing. 
So that means when we finish seventh this year, we'll get in. Would we all be willing to look stupid for two million plus a year? Well, I wouldn't be surprised well, because he just leaves before the end of Wenger's contract. Well, this is this is well, the question. Well, considering that we have twenty twenty seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the question for me, right? So why why are we all unanimous that Gazidis didn't want Wenger to stay? Because he hasn't said that. It's because he's very good at putting certain messages out in the press. Everyone thinks that. Everyone thinks, oh yeah, Gazidis didn't want Wenger to stay. He's never said that. But he's very good at planting that message so that we will get that message. So the question is, what is he doing now? Is he just going, well, do you know what? I was overruled on this occasion, but this is a pretty cushy job and I'm going to take the two million a year. Or is he, if you're an optimist, sitting there thinking, well, I told Stan not to extend Arsenal's contract. So like you say, he might be sitting there getting a little bit stronger now. He might be sitting there kind of puffing out his chest saying, told you, Stan. To every defeat, he gets I told you, yeah, 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 I told yeah. you. I told you not to renew his contract. And therefore, his influence could grow. I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the case myself. I'm more minded of the, well, he gets his two million a year and... He's basically... I mean, the, the whole time he's been at the club, everyone talks about why doesn't Stan Kroenke speak. Well, when Ivan Gazidis speaks, it's Stan Kroenke's voice, effectively. That's, that's how I've always understood it. But the question is, what is he doing now? Is he sitting there going, well, if, I, if I'm proved right about this, my influence grows? And I think a lot of um, kind of backroom appointments that have happened, have, and not just this year, but... But more recently, stuff like uh, Yonker um, as well. That was Ivan's appointment. That wasn't really Arsene's appointment. Didn't last long, did it? It didn't last long, and that probably tells you something about Arsene um, throwing the toys out the pram um, a little bit. But I, if uh, if Ivan is seeking increasing influence and maybe looking ahead to the time when Benga goes and saying, "Well, if I'm proved right about this." then maybe Stan will let me have a bit more influence. Or whether he's just sitting there and going, well, okay, I tried. I think there are, there are elements of both, because, as I say, for three or four years, Gazidis has been making comments that we should be doing better, or this is our chance, we've now got the money, this kind of stuff, which puts more onus on our sense to actually Catalyst get, get a, a better team out on the pitch and, and get some wins. But... The other aspect of Ivan is that he will always just say whatever the straight Arsenal PR line is. He will never deviate from that and he'll say, we're all doing a fantastic job, everybody's working as hard as they possibly can, it's all very difficult. Um, I mean, me and, me and Kev spoke to him after the AGM a couple of years ago when um, Chips had, had uh, got a little bit confused about whether there was a contract for the £3 million pounds um, cronky the fee. three million pounds cronky fee that he took out for unknown services, and uh, and our, uh, yeah, Ivan's uh, response to to questions from Kevin and I at the time was, well, there is a contract, and I can't. I'm not. Uh, the chairman said that in error. There is a contract. I can't say any more about it. I can't possibly comment any further. That you know, he'll just play a straight bat the whole way down the line and just give you the official PR version. Never admit to anything. Never admit anything is wrong. Never admit anything could be done any better than it is. Everybody Legal is background. absolutely doing their utmost. They could not possibly do any more than they already are. So you know, you he will come out with that line. But I think there, there may be an element of, uh, and I've I've heard from people 
who know people, let's say, that Gazidis that was definitely against the renewal, and so was Chips. And, uh, and I, but I think there, there, you know, there may be an element of what you're saying, Tim, of um, if Arsene screws up, then Gazidis has at least been shown to be right. Yeah. Now, whether that makes yeah. Cronky favour him anymore, Cronky can give a toss anyway, I don't know. But, but that could be why then, a, a bad transfer window probably suited Gazidis. That suited his agenda, didn't it? Well, <laughs> let me put it yeah. this way. I don't think he necessarily forced the issue when things were being left a bit too late. Yeah, he yeah, didn't true. say, let's get this sorted out like a they, week they before deadline. But, it, but he's, like he has tried, uh, you know, uh, uh, he has tried to impose himself on, on Arsene, you know, several times and failed, you know, appointments, as we, as we said, with uh, you know, fitness coaches or whatever else. And he can't, he hasn't managed to beat Arsene yet. He hasn't managed to get Arsene to do something that Arsene doesn't want to do. Mm. So... Or if he has, it's only temporary, and Arsene sort of brushes it off and carries on as he would have done anyway. So I don't know. It's uh, it's a difficult question. The shit but show continues. Yeah, as well as we were saying off, off yeah. air as well. Like yeah. uh, you know, some of these appointments that have come in, the likes of Jens Lehmann, etc. But Boris Primorac is still there. Yeah. He hasn't gone yeah. anywhere. No. So it's a little bit like. I will just squeeze him in then, and it's almost like a token gesture. Yeah, we may have a couple too many players in the squad. We know I've got a coaching <laughs> yeah. staff of 900. Tony, we know, well, there's Tony Cable. Tony <laughs> don't Cable. do anything. <laughs> there's the, the guy that came from Germany, the American, and a the Australian coach. one. Fitness Three coach. fitness coaches now, where well, there was only one a couple of years ago. I think Tony Corbett's job description has been changed, actually. I oh, think he's yeah. doing something well, different now. Tony Man 2 now. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but is, it, is there any. Is there any hope that we've got? Can we give? Well, hang on a minute, because that a, comes to a question here. Can we I've give got. Is there any hope that right. he might one day sell? Ian Henry by email. I am not going to any more league games until the manager leaves. Persuade me to change my mind. I'm going to answer this one first. It's great fucking entertainment. I love these home matches because it's pure farce, much better than anything you'll see in the West End, gentlemen. Well, well, well I, I kind of agree with Kev. I never stop going. I love, I love the matches. I love the entertainment. I mean, even even that four 0 defeat to Liverpool in, in the perverse way. It I was behind the curtains, yeah, yeah, horror. Yeah, yeah. It was Doctor Who. I mean, what other, what other <laughs> fan would, would see half their midfield like chatting to each other at Anfield? I, lived, I admit, I admit to laughing during yeah. the game. I yeah. mean, you, you just have to laugh, don't you? I mean, I've gone past caring now. I, I care more than you do, but I, I, I have to laugh. But. Is there any hope that that Kroenke is going to get bought out any time soon? You're changing the question. We'll come yes. back. To I know. So what was yeah, the question yeah, that you were asking, yeah. Kev? Sorry. Basically, yeah. we want a reason to continue attending Arsenal. Well, I think if um, if uh, was it Ian Henry, if he, if he doesn't want to go, then good. He's he's making a one-man protest. Carry on, Ian. Okay. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I'm not there for the for the same reason you guys aren't. I just enjoy it too much. And mm. I was in the away end at, at Liverpool, and we started singing, uh, "We're going to win the league, and now you're going to believe us." In the last few minutes of the game, <laughs> yeah. Gallows humour. You know, you make the best of it. Was there a five-four? Yeah. We're going to win five-four. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All the old classics. Same old Arsenal taking the piss. <laughs> and, and, and you know, same old Arsenal taking the piss. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, why should Newcastle have all the fun? Why don't we get relegated and, and just do every away game in the championship? Well, let's get on I'd then to... to go to Oldham and Wolves and... <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, how yeah, ironic! Yeah. Because we're going to have to discuss the Europa League. Rob Gregory yeah. emails. The season looks like a busted flush. 
Almost before we started. However, there is one cause for possible optimism, namely the Europa League. If Wenger could do a Mourinho, we could win it. I don't think he will. But could any of the panel see it otherwise? The holy grail of the Champions League is at stake, as we won't do it by the fourth-place trophy. Let's face it, we're all looking forward to Europa League. I'm loving it, yeah. I'm loving it, Kev. Well, I'll tell you, Borisov, sounds like a cake, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving it. And all, all, all those unpronounceable names we're going to get in the, in the knockout <laughs> stages or whatever... In, in, I mean, in reality, we've got, we've got Red Star Belgrade, Barte Borisov, and Cologne, and that's the Champions League group. And have you seen the ticket prices for people who yeah. don't have season tickets? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a bargain! What is it, a tenner or something? Well, but I think kids cup. are like... Four pound like, fifty, junior gunners. There you go. Yeah. You can't oh, beat that. I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. But, will Wenger take it seriously? No. We'll be out. We'll, if we don't go out in the group no, stage, no. we'll be out in the round 32. Well, hold that, because that is my final question on predictions for the season. The th- thing is, Wenger kind of goes half-assed about it. You think he's taking it seriously for one match or two, maybe, and then suddenly he'll just he'll chuck some totally experimental formation and, and team in there, and you think, oh, actually, he doesn't really care about this competition. Like, like next Thursday we're home to Cologne which is three days before Chelsea and Chelsea play on Tuesday which is about what five days before the match is Wenger going to put a reserve team out against yes, Cologne yes it'd be a league cup yeah. team yeah, it'd be a league cup team yeah. Yeah. but I mean I think that will be the policy of the group stage yeah, yeah. the and interesting thing see where we are in February will be that if yeah. we're mid-table in February mm. then go for it yeah if, if anyone can can qualifies for the Champions League by hook or by crook but you, well you could argue then don't bother about match against Chelsea they'll probably beat us anyway so let's make sure we beat Cologne <laughs> yeah that would be my view my view would be to put a strong team out in every Europa League game and try and win the bloody thing I suspect this will be uh, kind of relevant but uh, T-Bids has tweeted considering the state of the club want away players no clear plan etc Assuming Arson completes his two years, would we be better served reverting back to Project Youth? Now, this kid, Nelson, I know someone who swears blind they're going to make the England squad for the next World Cup. Um, Not with Wenger in charge. Well, who he's knows? Got, Theo, nine Theo. Months, nine months to ruin him. Theo. Yeah, but that was in 2006. No. Anyway, should we be... Will, will we be seeing the kids? Are we looking forward I'd to seeing the kids? I'd love it if we did. Love it if we did, Kevin. Right. I mean, I was never enamoured with Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, I didn't shed one single tear when he went. In, in, in fact, I tweeted. But he wasn't a kid. He wasn't tweet. a kid. What I'm talking about is when we, you know, under George Graham, started yeah. bringing yeah. through, or before under Don Howe, started bringing yeah. through yeah. players from the youth system. Yeah. Adams, Keown, yeah. Merson, yeah. Campbell, Michael Thomas, David Rocastle. Yeah. Brilliant, we don't do it Fantastic. anymore. Fantastic. We don't do it anymore because obviously the game has changed. Because, but because wouldn't it be nice? We had a decent manager in those days. And mm. the malaise it, with the first team contracts is, is actually exacerbated in the youth team contracts because none of these young kids that are any good are signed up for long periods. I don't know what Nelson's contract is. Well, but it's, it's, it's financial, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. financial. You know, I don't think it's financial. It can't be financial. they're on probation. It can't be, it can't be financial. I mean, we well, it is because they, they're not going to sign a long contract because yeah. they know that as soon as they've had a couple of first team games, Man City will be in for them for 30 million. Yeah. And then they can get 100 grand a week when they're 18. We're a bigger club than Man City. 
I know, I know, I know we're not run like a bigger club. In, in, in theory, historically. In we're a bigger club than Manchester. Historically. And even yeah. Rick, yeah. 14, 15 year olds have agents and yeah. have their parents getting arsy. Do you know what Mark Brindle told me? There, there was one kid who complained because he only had an Audi turn up to a collective for training. Oh my god. He wanted at least a Mercedes, he only had an Audi. I hope it wasn't Reese Nelson. <laughs> I, I think the question is is there that quality actually there in the youth team? Because I think standards have slipped all over the shop at Arsenal in the last six or seven years, and by all accounts, the academy is one of those places. But if we could get a good crop, I mean, one of the problems we've got is we're looking at a massive rebuild, right? Because Urza and Alexis have gone next year. Koscielny's 32, Kazula's 33 and can't play anyway. Mertesacker's 33. Mertesacker's 33 and retiring. The entire, and Czech's 35, Six. coming on 36. The, the entire spine of our team needs replacing, and two of the guys that are leaving we're going to get no money for. Well, we're probably not going to get any money for any of them because of all of their ages. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're going to have to... Res- replace the spine of the entire team with a fading manager who's only got one year left on his contract anyway so maybe the academy is the best way to do that if the thing is though you, actually you, there. You, you should always be trying to have some kids coming through shouldn't yeah. you? it should be a constant process it just happens that in the mid to late 80s we had a fantastic crop came we through did. and Man United had the same thing in the early yeah. 90s yeah and uh, th- that was that was just exceptional. But you should always be working to say, right, who have we got in the youth team? Who have we got under 18s, whatever mm. age they have these days? Who have we got who should be coming through and should well, be training well, with the I'll first team? And there should be one or two every year. Eddie Nicotia is not even in either of the Europa League squad or the Premier League squad. He scores for fun. Eddie Nicotia scores for fun. And they all said he's in the squads, not in the Premier League squad, but he's in the Europa one. And and um, Bielik, he's a very good player too. Hang on, so Bielik's been transferred, isn't he? No, Bielik's no, still no, there. He's in the both squads. Okay. Uh, but my my three that I would invest a lot of time and effort in and playing time is Bielik, Nicotia, and Nelson. One of one of the things Ferguson did actually really well. Obviously, he got that golden generation and everything, but that was like you say, Phil, a bit of a one-off. But what he kept doing after that was actually a lot of his squad players came from the academy so guys like John O'Shea Darren Fletcher Johnny Evans guys who would play wherever he told them to play were grateful for minutes and he, he made them really really effective squad players uh, really effective kind of deputisers all of whom uh, Welbeck as well actually who could play like a number of positions because it was Ferguson it was Man United and it was if I tell you you're playing left back today you're playing left back today and they say yes sir, uh, no problem whatsoever and, and actually I think there's quite a bit of stock in that and I think Arson manages young players better for that reason because if you tell Danielson or Diaby to play on the left wing when they're 21, they do it. You tell Ozil he's going out to the left wing, his agent is on the phone, if you tell Alexis that he's playing where he doesn't want to play, you know they challenge the manager whereas younger players don't tend to do that so... I think there could be some stock in at least trying to make some young players squad players, particularly if we're not going to have any money to replace yeah. some of our bigger players. But See, like I've, I've, said, I've, I've, had, I've had enough of the Ozil's, the Sanchez's, the Oxlade Chamberlain's, you know, the fancy Dan's who just here for the money. They're good players, they're brilliant players, but you know they spread a bit of poison around the dressing room. The loyal players don't particularly like them. Wouldn't bother me at all if all of those fancy Dan's went and they got replaced by kids. And we had a season of kids, and let's see where it takes us. At least they want to play for Arsenal. 
Um, just on the idea of protest, uh, we've got a tweet from the No New Contract uh, Twitter account, uh, also known as hashtag Wenger and Stan Out. Uh, <laughs> on the fence, then. <laughs> it's one for you, Tim. Uh, you've said more fans have realised change is needed. Please yeah. ask him if he feels they'll actually do anything about it or just wait and watch. Um, I think more, uh, like, I mean, obviously, the worse it gets, the more people will be prepared to, quote-unquote, take to the streets. Um, it's happened more and more over the years, and if things continue going the way they are, more people will do that. And if that's what they want to do, more power to their elbow, um, quite frankly. Whether I'm there or not, that, you know, it's not for me to tell other people whether they should be in the same position as me. Whether it will make any difference or not, I'm, I'm pretty dubious, to be honest, because Stan Kroenke doesn't see any of it. So if people march outside games, even if people don't turn up to games, if they've paid for the tickets already, I don't think Stan Kroenke cares one bit. I think Arsene probably does care and it probably does affect him, but it doesn't affect him as much as the idea of leaving and discovering what his life would be like without Arsenal. I think that's the bottom line. I think Arsene probably has thought about leaving uh, a few times in the last couple of years. I'm sure he's not actually enjoying this job anymore, but the bottom line is when he goes to bed at night, he thinks, if I walk out tomorrow, what happens to my life and my career? And that thought scares him more than turning up at the Emirates and a couple of thousand people not turning up or tutting and sighing and booing or whatever else. So if people want to protest, I think that's fair enough. That's, that's perfectly fine. I'm, I'm dubious as to the amount of difference it'll actually make, unfortunately. I think there is an element of truth in that, what you're saying, Tim. Definitely right. Wenger actually admitted that, what would I do when I leave Arsenal? But is that a front? Is that a smokescreen? Because on the other hand, the minute Arsenal are playing, he's jetting off all around the world, commentating on matches, doing press interviews, working for BEM Sports, doing all sorts of secondary jobs, you know? And I'm pretty sure the minute he, he left could, Arsenal... He could probably yeah, fill his time out. Oh, yeah. The minute he leaves so. Arsenal, he wouldn't wake up in the morning and sit in his garden and think, what am I doing now? Oh, God, I'll go and work in the charity shop. <laughs> he, 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 he could get a job anywhere in the world, probably in this country or wherever he wanted, you know, on Sky Sports, on Sky, on BT, on ESPN. He could work with kids, he could get, get a job working with youth players at various clubs. Imagine if, if you're... It would be a little bit of a yeah, come-down to get a job working with youth players. And, you, you know, you're coaching the youths, and they say, oh, what, Arsene Wenger's coming down today, he's going to tell you a few things and have a word with you and see how you get on. <laughs> Don't listen to a I word. Mean, <laughs> you know, he's not, he doesn't need the money. No. Wenger would love to do something like that. But he, he, did he not say only a couple of days ago that he, that he was actually talking to PSG in the summer, so... Yeah. Why, why, why did he not go to PSG but then? Because it's, yeah. because it's not true. Because every time he comes under pressure, he says, <laughs> Oh, I could have gone to Real Madrid in 2007. <laughs> yeah. But every time these stories come out, that's, that's his defence mechanism. Like, I could have left at any time. Sure, which was probably true 15 years ago, but it's not true now. I think the reason Arsenal doesn't want to leave, and this, and this is the, the one saving grace, the reason Wenger doesn't want to leave Arsenal is he's an Arsenal fanatic. Mm. He's, he's obsessed about Arsenal. As we are, um, but he wants to leave the club. Want to, want to leave he that. wants to leave the club in good shape. Yeah, and what he doesn't realise is that it's actually going downhill. He's doing more harm than good. Exactly. But I think, bless him, he is an his heart. His heart yeah, is yeah. in the right place. Yeah, yeah, Sadly, yeah. his mind 
has left the and building. And the only good thing about having Arsene Wenger as manager is at least you've got a fan in the dugout. As okay. opposed to some other manager that might be going somewhere else. Well, why don't we put you in there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, I'm going to finish with predictions. I want two predictions. Number one, predicted league position at the season's end, assuming Arsenal remains. And number two, predicted stage of the Europa League we will reach under Arsenal. Obviously, the draw, we don't know, but we're going to have a guess. So, Phil, league position? Uh, I've already publicly said fifth, so I'll stick with that. Europa League? Quarterfinals. Steve, the league. I'd love to say I'd love to say twenty-first or twentieth, whatever it is. Realistically, tenth. <laughs> um, wow. Um, Europa League. Uh, Europa League last sixteen. Okay. And same old, same old. Tim, league position. Do you know what? Before the season started, I said fourth, and I'll I'll stick with it. Okay. And right Europa League um, semi-finals. Wow. Okay. So a good run there. Alright, so um, no avail. Mm. So that's for the shit manager. <laughs> yeah. Lack of the draw, he does well in cups yes. sometimes, <laughs> does Arsene, although maybe not in Europe. Anyway. What about you, Ken? What do you think? Uh, my own view is that Arsenal will finish sixth in the league, and I think in the in, uh, Europa League we'll get to the last eight. So you're all assuming that the likes of Stoke, West Brom, uh, West Ham, and all that are all going to finish below us? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, is who, who, whether Everton overtake us or not, yeah. or if Tottenham yeah. fall behind us. That's, that's yeah, the you know what, a good statistic, right? The, yeah. Until I think it's, it's twenty eleven, the top seven in the first division since it started have never been the same seven clubs. I don't mean the same order. Yeah. Never the same really? seven clubs. In the Premier League. In the, in since eighteen eighty eight. Right. You could take okay. any year okay. and it's a different combination of teams than any other year until 2011 and that top seven that we've got now yeah. that has been the top seven for about I think five of, of the last oh. seven seasons and that includes Everton obviously including Everton yeah they, I mean they're they, so, they're hovering they're above everyone else but they're not in that, in that so you three think it'd be the same top seven this year yeah <laughs> unless you get a Leicester situation yeah. where somebody completely comes out of the blue but that seems less likely you know yeah. that we've got some more top class managers see I'm not convinced really. that we're not going to finish behind the likes of Leicester West Brom and Stoke this year well time will tell anyway we and have been going South, and maybe even Southampton we've been going longer than normal because I just couldn't stop you guys and it was all good as well so over an hour but uh, I'm sure it's been good stuff um, uh, just time for a quick plug for the season's first issue of the Guna which can be bought online if you wish to order it through the store section of the Guna website or it can be bought uh, outside the stadium on match days. Uh, subscriptions are also available. If you want details of the content, just click on the issue cover on the right side of our website's homepage, onlineguna.com. Some people thought we were ending the fanzine at the end of last season, but just to confirm that the current season will be the final one that sees a printed version of the Guna sold on match days at the stadium. There will be five further issues, so make the most of it while you can, by buying the damn thing. As usual, a reminder that you can contact us regarding anything to do with the podcast via Twitter, at Podcast and email gunapodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for the questions and topics submitted for today, and apologies to Joe Gagliardi. Andre is at DreLilMountain, uh, Twitter handle, and Simon Rose, uh, because we... 
I went Mao Zhao, who had an argument with Tim on Twitter anyway. Um, couldn't, Tim will sort him out later. Couldn't get your questions in, or we, we sort of answered them in a different way. Um, with that, it is goodbye from Steve. Goodbye. Yes. Yes. Let's hope fortunes improve. Um, and from Phil. Goodbye. And Tim. Ciao. We will be back with the next edition in October, by which time we'll, we'll have seen a further four Premier League matches. Two Europa, Europa League groups, group games, and Doncaster in the League Cup. Things can only get better. Time will tell. This is your host, Kevin Witcher, saying goodbye and thanks for listening. La di da di da, la di da di dee. All good friends and jolly good company. Well, hey!